What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It was a really good weekend for Mississippi State Athletics. It was almost a great weekend, but it was a really good weekend. Anytime we get a chance to gather as a fan base out at Duty Noble Field, it's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing when we beat Ole Miss. It's a great thing we pick up a quad one win. It's also nice for us to... uh, to get off to a good start in softball, right? It's nice to have some things to, to cheer for. We have more to cheer for these days than ever. I, I remind you, too, I had a discussion with the illustrious sign dog just uh, yesterday. You know, sometimes we forget that Zach Arnett has posted W after W after W since we've hired him. We think about, you know, the athletic school year, Right? We're almost done with the academic school year. There's a lot to cheer for. You go back and you think, okay, you know, promoting Zach Arnett was absolutely the right decision. Considering the circumstances around Mike Leach's untimely passing and the fact that we knew at some point Zach Arnett was going to be a head football coach somewhere, why not here? And all he has done is validate that decision ever since. It's an important aspect of this. You hire him, first thing he does is he fends off the poachers, we're trying to get your players to go into the NCAA transfer portal. There was rampant tampering going on. Bulldogs were able to kind of right the ship there. You put a top 25 signing class together, you lose one commitment. And of course, uh, that was one they were okay with losing. Then you go win the bowl game and get a top 20 finish, and you put together an incredible staff. So, WWWWW. Then you get into basketball season, and now here we are in late February playing meaningful basketball on both the, both the men's and the women's side. Now baseball is here. Softball with a uh, decent start. They're 6-4 and four overall, but uh, they play in the Paradise Classic uh, here about two weeks ago. They take down Florida Atlantic, Loyola Chicago, but then when they lose to Iowa and lose to Stony Brook, this past weekend, a really good weekend, as they beat Indiana 12-2, to a five 
inning, 10-run rule affair. They get revenge against Arizona. They lose to Michigan 5-4. They blast South Florida 8-0. They lose to Central Florida. So, you know, kind of a mixed bag weekend. But, uh, listen, you know, some important names with a W next to them when it comes to Mississippi State. And if you remember, you know, wasn't great last year uh, to start. And the next thing you know, we get rolling a little bit and uh, achieve some history. So, congratulations uh, to the softball Bulldogs. And, again, a lot to really be excited about right now as we think about the health of our athletic department. That's an important aspect of every bit of this. Every single bit of this. is uh, It's an important aspect of it. It really is. It's exciting to think about that, to say the least. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? Is uh, I might have actually sent the wrong video. Let me check that real quick. I'll be right back. I was mistaken. I thought I was wrong, but I was mistaken. I did send the right video. But uh, nevertheless, and you can find that on our YouTube channel at jeanspage.com, but also, too, it'll be uploaded a little bit later today on uh, the 247 servers. So look forward to that. A little bit of a baseball uh, review and preview. Trying to stay on top of that video content for you guys. But, uh, again, a lot to feel good about right now. We're going to break the whole weekend down. But, again, tip of the cap to the, uh, the Bulldog softball team. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. It is a very, very, very faithful love affair. I know exactly what I'm going to get there. I'm going to go in. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to get quality service. I'm going to get quality meal. At a great price. A lot of people out there are adding these fees to you eating with them. They're not doing anything to earn it. It's like, well, we're just going to pass along these expenses to you. I'm not a fan of that. I believe in pricing integrity. And that's one of the things that I appreciate and respect about Bulldog Burger Company. I'm getting the same quality meal for the same price that I was getting in a pre-COVID world. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in a Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check that out today. You'll be glad you did. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. It's now in writing. It's a fact. Be sure to get those spring rolls. Some of you need it. I mean, really. I can tell who's had spring rolls recently and who hadn't. Trust the science with me on that. And have that great restaurant-quality hamburger. Whether you get the Bryant, the Lauren... The Mission, the Good Morning Burger, the Freshman 15, you can't go wrong no matter what you choose there. You're going to get a quality meal at a quality price. And those portions absolutely substantial. Happy hour, 3 to 6 every day. We've got some uh, tap takeover stuff to give you too. This is our very first one. It's important you understand that. So this February 23rd is coming up here in a few days. From 5 to 8, the brewers from the Fertile Ground right there in Jackson will be there to show off four varieties of locally brewed beer. The Contours of Light, Cherry Sour, Fertile Ground Pilsner, Mismo Mexican Lager, and the Forgotten Space IPA. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So Bulldog Burger Company will be among the first to, to have the Forgotten Space IPA. So if you're familiar uh, with the fine folks from Fertile Ground, this is a new product for them. So be sure and show up again 5 to 8 there in Ridgeland. Uh, they'll be there in the capital city and have stickers, glassware, shirts, etc. to pass out to guests. They'll also be doing a growler raffle that night where the winner gets a 64-ounce growler of fertile ground beer of their choice. And the second and third place, place winners receive a 32-ounce growler of their choice. Well worth your time. If that's your thing, go to Bulldog Burger Company. An exciting event, February 23rd. 
uh, from five to eight. And if, uh, listen, if you're unfamiliar, be sure and go check them out. That is a Thursday night. So this Thursday night. So we'll talk about it again on Wednesday's show. The first tap takeover that uh, we've told you about here on the Boneyard. Turn out for that. Thursday night's a good night to go do it. you got Bulldog Baseball Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You're looking for something to do on Thursday, and you live in central Mississippi. Uh, go to uh, the Lake Harbor Drive location of Bulldog Burger Company for that tap takeover. Be sure and check it out and, and send me your reviews. I don't drink beer anymore, but I like to live vicariously through all of you. I don't drink at all anymore. And so if it's good, tell me it's good. It's not going to tip me, but I want to know that you had a good time. That's Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. I tell you what's interesting. The conversation this weekend, you know, was about the Saturday loss to VMI. We're going to get to that later in the show. But when did, when did beating Ole Miss become such a small thing? I mean, honestly, we had to win that game. We did. It was tough. It was, it was far from a masterpiece of offensive execution on either side. But dare I say, we beat Ole Miss, and it just goes to show you how irrelevant that they are. That it was only like a handful of people that were making a big deal about this. Guys, it is a big deal when we beat Ole Miss in anything. I don't care if it's men's basketball or tiddlywinks. It's a big deal. It's a rivalry game. And it's one we absolutely had to have. That's the thing I think that it's important to understand is a loss to Ole Miss would have just basically wrecked our NCAA tournament chances barring a huge run in the SEC tournament. Big win for us. We trailed by one at the break. And State got off that great start. And give Ole Miss some credit. They could have laid down. It was kind of Kermit Davis's last stand. And give Kermit credit. They were ready to play. One point lead at the break. And the next thing you know, we edge them out by one. Had a chance to win that game late. And, and Tolu Smith, I thought, really exerted himself. We are able to watch the game during baseball. We had it up on TV. And our Paul Jones went and covered for us. We had, did have full coverage of that over at jeanspage.com. Be sure and check it out if you missed it, including video interviews, everything, everything. A nice recap and, of course, you know, uh, comments from Chris Jans as well as your players. But uh, State dominates the overtime period. But I tell you, Tolu Smith, I really thought, exerted himself. And I give Chris Jans and his staff a lot of credit they are getting a lot out of Tolu Smith. You know, I think we all would agree, you know, we're going to go as far as he could take us. But the reality of it is there were times that Tolu wasn't living up to expectations. State is getting that out of him. And, and give Tolu a lot of credit. The guy's willing to take coaching. He is working within the framework of the offense. He knows he's going to get beat up every single game. His free throw shooting has improved. But late in that ball game, we absolutely had to have it. It was Tolu. It was Tolu saying, you know what, we're not losing this game. With 244 to play, Matthew Morrell knocks down a big jumper. Very athletic play. That kid's really good. Puts Ole Miss up three. Deshaun Davis goes down, makes a basket to pull us within one. Ole Miss makes one of two free throws. With a minute to play, we're down two. We get a nice rebound from Cam Matthews. They end up fouling Shaquille Moore, who had done nothing. He was scoreless at this point in the ballgame. If I had told you we're going to go on the road at Ole Miss and Shaquille Moore is going to be scoreless with 50 seconds to play, you'd assume we lost the game or he got hurt. Instead, he steps up, he knocks down a pair of free throws to tie the ball game with under a minute to play. And then Miles Burns goes down. Really nice play here. They find him kind of streaking to the basket, lays it up and in. We get the ball... (laughs) 
and we got to have a basket. Who do we go to? We go to Tolu Smith. And it should have been an and one. I still don't know how. They didn't call a foul there. But Deshaun Davis finds him down low. Tolu basically says, you know what? You're going to have to kill me because I'm going up strong here. And he did. He makes a basket. Ole Miss gets one final chance there. It gets a little bit discombobulated. Eric Reed, of all people, with a nice block shot there of Matthew Morrell. I mean, that's Ole Miss's bread and butter, right? If you're going to, if it's a, a uh, game changing possession, you're going to find a way to find Matthew Morrell. They do. We're prepared for it. We get a block. He gets a rebound and then jacks up a very ill advised three. But it, you know, clock's winding down. It's not a criticism of him. But their best player had two shots at it late. And State makes a defensive stand. I mean, that's what we're, that's, our, that's our identity, right? We open up the overtime period. Deshaun Davis, of course, gives State a two-point lead. Get a turnover here, kind of trade turnovers for a little bit. And then it's DJ Jeffries, who is as streaky as there ever has been. I mean, that, that kid is as streaky as a sliding glass door in a summer after a pool party, right? I mean, it's just, it's, you never know what you're going to get from him. But he rams home a big three here to put State up five. And it really felt like we were in great shape here. Uh, Jamie Brakefield gets a layup right at the three-minute mark. Tolu gets a foul. They make a change here. They end up missing the free throw. We go right back down the court. We go to Tolu, who, again, a nice power move up and in, puts us up five. Morrell misses a jumper. Again, Tolu called for another foul. <laughs> they make one of two free throws. So with two minutes to play, State has a four-point advantage. We get a stop. We go down to Sean Davis with a nice jumper. And how big has he been? I mean, he never makes the headlines, but we are not the team we are today without Deshaun Davis. And we always criticize the transfer portal. I mean, we have basically flipped this roster thanks to the transfer portal in a good way. But Deshaun with a big basket there gives State a six-point advantage with a minute to play. And then what do we do? We, uh, we have a chance to get a stop here. Will McNair called for a foul, allows them to score – Without the clock running, they knock down both free throws to cut it to four. They end up having to foul us, of course, because, hey, it's only 31 seconds to play. And then Cam Matthews goes to the line. And closing time is Cam time. I mean, how many times do we see Cameron Matthews knocking down big free throws late? He's the wrong guy to foul, but they keep fouling him. We put him in a situation where they have no choice. He knocks them both down. We push it back out to six. Brakefield misses a shot. Deshaun Davis pulls down rebound. They have to foul again, and it's Davis knocking down two free throws. And Morrell shoots a three-pointer you know, with 10 seconds left. Means nothing. They miss it. And State wins the game by eight. So State sweeps the season series against Ole Miss. It's been a long time since we could, we could claim that. So, again, it's always a big win when you beat Ole Miss, no, no matter the quality of their season. Because – the stakes in this game were very high for us. You got to go to your rival's home floor where they're desperate for a win uh, and give Ole Miss some credit. When we got up on them early, they could have easily packed it in. They elected not to. They continued to battle. I mean, State's about, you know, 10 points in the first half, 14 to four, and you think we're going to run away with this thing. A lot of basketball left. They continue to play hard, and at one point, State did push it back out to nine, but. You get to the end of the half, and Ole Miss had all the juice. They had all the momentum. So give them credit. As bad as things have gone this year for them, they gave us a good game. They did. They did their best to protect their home floor. It didn't work out. The Rebels now fall to 10-17 and 17 overall, 2-12 and 12 in the league. 
Bulldogs now 18 and 9 and 6 and 8 in the league. Expected to win that ball game, but ended up being more of a tussle than I expected. But we knew that it was not going to be a pretty ball game, and it wasn't. It absolutely was not a pretty ball game. Tolo Smith with 17 points, Cam Matthews with 17, Deshaun Davis a dozen for him, DJ Jeffries with 10. And then four other Bulldogs got into the scoring column. And again, we can get two points out of Shaquille Moore and win a game on the road. That means some people around him have elevated their game. Sean Jones Jr. with five off the bench. Tyler Stevenson with four. Eric Reed with two. Be nice to get him going. He didn't attempt nearly as many shots. But again, a, a nice big play. Again, it shows Christian's trust in Eric Reed. He's on the floor on the final defensive possession and gets a, uh, gets a block there of Morrell. A lot of coaches would have given up on Eric Reed. I give Jans a lot of credit. 22 minutes of action for him. Bulldog shot 46.2% from the floor, just 16 of 7 from beyond the arc, 3 of 18, and none bigger than the one D.J. Jeffries hit late. And the Bulldogs 18 of 21 from the line, 85.7%. Remember when we talked about that, how bad free throw shooting was and it cost us a couple ball games? It's now become a bit of a strong suit. And, again, you credit your coaching staff for that. Uh, Jamin Brakefield with 20 for Ole Miss, Matthew Morell with 15, Miles Burns with 10. And those kids played hard. They absolutely did. They played hard. I have a lot of respect for them. It's easy to say, you know what, we're just going to play out the string here. Bulldog defense, a good job, though, in the half court. Ole Miss shoots just 32.3%. Then three of 22 from beyond the arc. And then 69% on the free throws. That's pretty nice. Uh, but 34 points in the paint for them, that, that's something we're going to have to get better at, even though State outscored them 36-34. Uh, the lead changed 10 times. The score was tied six times. So, again, a competitive ball game. And really kind of a tale of maybe four different periods. Like State gets off to the good start. Ole Miss then comes back. And then Ole Miss has some juice and State gets it late. It's big. It's a big win. And, again, I understand this is not a great Ole Miss team. And I understand they're turning towards a coaching change. I'm not in any way trying to overestimate them as an opponent. But listen, there's a lot of pride within this rivalry, regardless of the records. And so you know we got their best shot. We were able to overcome it. And so big win for the Bulldogs. Rivalry dubs are all... Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Always big. So now here we are. We've made the next game an even bigger game. The Bulldogs now, too. Uh, eight and five away from Humphrey Coliseum. Not bad, not great. But uh, we're going to have to put on our, uh, our road shoes here and go get a W on Tuesday night as the Bulldogs play Missouri. And Missouri, a much different team at home. They shoot the ball from beyond the arc exceptionally well in their own arena. You'd expect that. But I think their splits are probably more dramatic than many others. They have been very, very good at home in shooting the three ball. And then on Saturday, we'll have Texas A&M come in. And so we'll preview the A&M game for the Friday show. And then senior night, of course, Tuesday night, a week from uh, this Tuesday. And then we head to Nashville. So just four regular season games left for your Bulldogs. And two of those are at home. 
this Saturday and the next Tuesday. But uh, we'll take a quick look at Missouri. This Tiger team scares me a little bit, to be honest with you. If we go up there and uh, we don't play better than we did Saturday, we're going to lose. Now, Missouri not playing exceptionally well right now. They're basically one of our contemporaries. They're 19-8 and eight and 7-7, seven and seven, so just one game difference between us and them in the overall record and in the conference record. They've lost two in a row. And it's interesting to kind of see how this thing is playing out for them. They've been an incredible home team, 14-3 and three at home, 3-5 and five in true road games, and 2-0 and oh on a neutral floor. So they have, again, playing really well in their own gym. We're going to have to bring our best effort. Let's take a quick look back here. They, um, they lose at Auburn last Tuesday, and that was fresh off of the 86-85 win at Tennessee. That kind of sent shockwaves around the country and in the SEC. But they, they win that game, they go on the road, and they get absolutely destroyed by Auburn. And Auburn's a good team, not a great team. But the fact that they beat Missouri by 33, it kind of shows you the roller coaster ride that's been Mizzou basketball this year. And then, then Texas A&M rolls into Missouri and wins by nine. And you know what? Maybe we've undervalued Texas A&M. You know, a lot of times, and I think I was one of those people that would, would probably adopt that line of thinking that uh, maybe they're a fraud. They, they've kind of beaten up. And I said them on the show, I said, they're going to have to earn it here. And what have they done since then? They beat Arkansas and Missouri and beat Missouri on the road. Makes that ball game here all the better, right? Got to find a way to win that game. But Missouri, a quality team, and especially in their home arena. So we're going to have to go out there and, and defend exceptionally well. And it'll be a different attack this time, too. You know, we beat them pretty good when they came in here. I think that was probably our best performance of the season. And State wins that game by 11 points. But it never, ever really felt like we were in trouble. It felt like we controlled the flow of the game. If we can force them to play our game, we're going to win this thing. If this is a game that ends up in the 50s or 60s, we're going to win this game. That's how I feel about it. We can't let them come out there and get hot early. And that's what they'll do. They'll come out there and try to they'll run some sets and try to get some open looks, try to make some three-point baskets because uh, they have some guys that can really score. Kobe Brown is still that guy, man. That guy, he's still leading them. He was. We did a great job defending them when they came to Humphrey Coliseum. But they're going to run their offense through him, averaging 16.5 points a game. Uh, Des Moines Hodge was 13-7. DeAndre Golston with 10. He had a good game against us. 10.4 points for him. And then Isaiah Mosley, former Bulldog uh, recruiting target, just under double digits. Played 14 games, started just three. Coming off the bench for them. That wasn't what, it, that, that wasn't what everybody sold us on, right? He was supposed to be the guy. And maybe on our team, maybe it's a different dynamic. You know, maybe it's another win or two out there if you've got Isaiah Mosley. But he has not been the program-changing player many people advertise him to be. But I'm excited about the ballgame, and you should be too. And that's the thing too is like every time you win one, you can't wait to play the next one. And it's crazy to look up and think, you know what? We're almost out of the regular season slate, and then we'll be in Nashville uh, March 8th through the 12th, hopefully, for the SEC tournament. And how much fun is that? You know, I mean, you, like you get up in the morning, you turn basketball on, and it's like on all day. And like every game matters to you because there's the potential of us playing one of those teams that's still playing. 
So I'm eager to see what the bracket looks like. And of course, a lot of basketball left to be played between now and then. But the biggest game on our schedule is the next one. And that's Tuesday night. This is a huge week for us. You want to remove all doubt about your NCAA tournament worthiness? You win these two games this week, you can stop watching the bubble because you're going to be on the right side. And, of course, South Carolina comes in uh, Tuesday. That's a game we should win. And then Vanderbilt, you know, Vanderbilt's played better as of late. But you feel like that, hey, if you can survive this week and, and do no worse than one and one you keep the dream alive, and then you've got to win those last two, I believe. But if you win these two this week, I think you can kind of feel good about life. You know, obviously, you can't lose out. But let's, let's say you beat Mizzou, A&M, and South Carolina. I think it kind of renders that Vandy game somewhat meaningless as it, come, as it relates to getting into the tournament. And I think deep down, we are an NCAA tournament team. I think we're getting better as the year goes along. When you put together that nice five-game winning streak and you lose to Kentucky at home by three, and you go on the road and beat your rival school by eight, you know, we're playing good basketball. Are we an elite team? Absolutely not. Do we deserve to be in the tournament? I think we do. Of course, I'm biased. But men's basketball is fun again. It is. I mean, when is the last time, and you guys would know this, but when's the last time during a baseball game that we want to have the basketball game on so we can watch? And so one of the TVs in the press box, we had the baseball game. On the other, we had basketball. And once basketball was over, of course, we were able to you know, switch it over. But the reality of it is, is people care about men's basketball again. And it's not just in the attendance. It's in the social media traffic. It's in the Bulldog conversation. Christian's doing a great job, an absolutely great job. And I think the best is yet to come. I think you all feel that too. I think we all understand that this is, hey, this is just year one. And when you look at the grit and the energy this team is playing with, what are we going to look like when we get a couple scores? We're going to be absolute uncharted hell when we get a couple scores. Because the foundation for this system is being put into place, and I think everybody feels, you know, hey, this, this is a blue-collar deal. We're a blue-collar people. And so it matches our culture, and I think a lot of people will say, hey, you know what, hey, this, we got the right guy. We can kind of move this thing ahead. Let's take a quick look at the SEC standings, too, just to kind of see where we are. Of course, you know, we're, we're working our way back up, right? We're, we're not quite there yet. You know, we had that dreadful start because we played uh, two of the top teams in the country four times, right? Just our luck, right? And we talked about that. It wasn't a big surprise. We all saw it. We all knew that we had our work cut out for us. But uh, look at the standings now. LSU 1-13 in the league as they lose at home to South Carolina this weekend. You talk about a dreadful season. They start 12-1. They've lost 14 games in a row. Amazing. The only team that's uh, comparable to them, Ole Miss, 2-12. Then there's South Carolina at 3-11. And again, that's a, a game we got to win. Georgia 6-8. That loss to them still stings. And then there's Mississippi State. Just ahead of us, Florida, Arkansas, Missouri, all at 7-7. Seven and seven. So you feel like, hey, I'm, we're definitely going to catch Missouri if we can get that win. And then Vanderbilt has really come on here as of late, 15-12 and 12 overall, but 8-6 and six in the conference. We have to go to Nashville to play that game. It's not a sure win by any stretch. Then there's Auburn at 8-6, Kentucky 9-5, Tennessee 9-5, then A&M 12-2, Alabama 
13-1. If you had picked A&M to be a game behind first place at the beginning of this year, I don't think anybody would have believed you. They're 20-7, and 12-2 in the league, and, of course, Alabama 13-1, 23-4 uh, overall. Alabama's still on the one line, according to uh, Joe Lenardi. But you got to wonder now with this A&M team, you know, how good are they? I think they're proving that. And so it's going to be a, a special night at Humphrey Coliseum. We need you to turn out uh, and support the team. But, uh, again, congratulations to the men and everybody that uh, wears a maroon and white shirt every now and again for another win over Ole Miss. Re- again, regardless of how their season is going, anytime you beat Ole Miss, it's a good thing. Our time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. A lot of people are intimidated by the mortgage origination process. You don't even know how it goes. It's like, you know what? I don't know, Steve. It's just complicated. There's all these documents they need. There's all this information. I don't know how to provide. You need somebody that can kind of hold your hand through that process. You need somebody that can push this thing along and make it as pain-free as possible. It's never easy. There's always stress and anxiety because, like, underwriters want all kinds of things that don't always make a lot of sense. Like, they're making you jump over hoops and there's all these things that it seems like, you know what, what do they need this for? Well, Blair's a guy that understands what they need and can prepare your loan package before it goes to underwriting to, you know, reduce the number of pins. You know, your loan is pending approval based on these items that you need to provide. It's good to have somebody that's been there and done that. Blair's got 21 years of experience in the industry. I'm encouraging you today, if you have mortgage needs, reach out to Blair Chandler at closewithblair.com. If you mention to him you heard about him on the boneyard, He's going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a $500 value. Blair's phone number is 601-500-2344. And if you're familiar with zip codes and area codes in Mississippi, you know that's a cell number. It is. You're not going to have to go through a receptionist or go through a voicemail, whatever. You go directly to Blair, 601-500-2344. If he doesn't answer right away, it probably means he's on the phone with another client. So send him a text message and say, hey, I heard about you on the boneyard. I'd like to pursue a mortgage here. Maybe you're looking to refinance. Maybe you're looking for the dream of home ownership that has remained elusive. Maybe you're looking to start over in life. You need a winner, and that's Blair Chandler. Works for Fairway Mortgage, 21 years experience, top 1% close ratio in the country. And as always, visit him at closewithblair.com. Okay, so one of you, and forgive me for not saving the name. I apologize. But somebody hit me up, and they sent me the top 40 songs from 1976. And right now, some of these young bucks are saying, oh, I'm going to tune out right here. No, don't hit fast forward because this is one of the most legendary top 10 lists we've ever had. What an incredible year in music. And so I'm, I'm going to run this down for you real quick here, real quickly. I'm going to run this down. These were the top 40 songs in 1976. And then I'm going to take those and I'm going to give you a top 10 list. All right, number 40, In My Own Way by the Marshall Tucker Band, Aerosmith's Dream On, Bell Bottom Blues by Eric Clapton's 39, 37, Brown Sugar from The Stones, Sweet Jane from Lou Reed, 35 is Blue Sky from the Almond Brothers, American Pie from Don McLean, Your Song from Elton John, Jessica Almond Brothers, Baby I Love Your Way by Frampton, Best of My Love, The Eagles, A Day in the Life from The Beatles, Miracles from Jefferson Starship, that's a good honorable mention, LaGrange from ZZ Top, didn't make our list, but that says a lot. Nantucket Sleigh Ride by Mountain and Underappreciated Classic. Green Grass and High Tides from The Outlaws, a Southern rock staple. Give Me Shelter from The Stones, Nights in White Satin from Moody Blues. Sympathy for the Devil from The Stones at 22. 
Won't get fooled again from the Who. Low spark of high heels by high heel boys by traffic. We had that on the uh, Steve Winwood list here recently. And a guy to Davida from Iron Butterfly, one of the forerunners of American metal, a, one of the, probably the greatest cover song of all time. All along the Watchtower from Jimi Hendrix, All You and I from Yes, Taxi from Harry Shapin, Sweet Judy Blue Eyes from CSNY. Do you feel like we do, Peter Frampton? Can't you see from the Marshall Tucker Band and Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding. Number 11, Hey Jude, you, you know who sings that. Close to the Edge by the Yes is number 10. 29 Hours at a Time from the Marshall Tucker Band. Aqualung from Jethro Tull. Uh, the Whipping Post from the Allman Brothers. Roads to Moscow by Al Stewart is 6. Roundabout from Yes, that was recently on our baselines list. Number 5, Desperado from the Eagles at 4. Lego 3 from uh, Derek and the Dominoes. And then Free Bird from Leonard Skinner, the number one stairway to heaven. So how do you pick 10 of those? Well, I did. And now there may be some disagreements, and I'll give you a little grace today. If you don't agree with the top 10 list, because of the fact there are probably 30 songs on here that are timeless classics. It's true. What a great year in rock music. So here's my top 10 from that 40. And again, this was the annual list, like at the end of the year. This wasn't like a snapshot of one week. This is like the top 40 from the year 1976. I'm from the 1900s. I was just four years of age when these songs were blasting out on AM and FM radio. So here we go. Number 10 for me, we're going to go with Clapton, which uh, masqueraded as Derek of the Dominoes with Layla at number 10. A song about George Harrison's wife. Can you imagine that? One of your contemporaries writes a hit song about your wife in today's climate. Are you kidding me? It's crazy. And back in the 70s, it's wonder. Like in some states, it was still justifiable homicide. Like if somebody messed around with your wife, you could kill them and not go to jail. Many of you didn't know that. I think the state of Texas was the last to repeal the law. And the, the law in Texas was like it didn't even have to be in the moment. Like, if you found out that your wife was running around on you and then uh, you went home and thought about it for two weeks, you could still go kill the guy and get away with it. It's crazy. It was, and and that, that's it, like, in my lifetime. Like, in a, or maybe in the late 60s, early 70s. That used to be the law in, in this country. It was justifiable homicide to kill some dude who's messed around with your wife. And Eric Clapton goes and writes a song about George Harrison's wife. Crazy. All right, number nine, Don McLean from American Pie. That's, that's your song today. American Pie, a long, 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 long song about the, the great plane crash that killed the Big Bopper and Buddy Holly and Richie Valens, the day the music died. And Don McLean pens this uh, opus, and it's basically a Shakespearean sonnet set to music, one of the greatest songs in uh, American music. Number eight. I had to work the Almond Brothers in here. Then there were so many I could choose from here, but I decided to go with the Whipping Post. Not just because of the fact that it was a little bit higher on the list. I just like it better. Because sometimes I feel like I've been tied to the Whipping Post. And the thing about the Almond Brothers that I love, and it doesn't matter what it is, the songs are always so relatable. I mean, how many of you guys want to be the Midnight Rider, right? How many of you were born a rambled man? I mean, it's like there's just so much of that that is just so truly and authentically Southern. Number seven, if you've ever seen Wayne's World, that's one of the things that uh, Wayne Campbell talked about. 
is Frampton Comes Alive is basically like an issue to everybody living in the suburbs. If you've never listened to Frampton Comes Alive, I wonder what you're doing with your life. Peter Frampton, we talk all the time about great guitar players. You know, he was the first one to use the vocoder. And all of a sudden, on Frampton Comes Alive, you hear him speaking to the guitar, and it's almost like something from another universe. But Frampton Comes Alive is one of the greatest live albums of all time. And a lot of people don't like the live albums. They don't like the, uh, they don't like the crowd noise. And there were people that went in and did some overdubs and stuff like that to create some, uh, I guess, some polish when it comes to these albums. But Frampton Comes Alive is true and authentic. And so in honor of that, we're going to go with Peter Frampton's Do You Feel Like I Do? And there's so many great songs of Peter Frampton. Show Me the Way is one of those songs that no matter what mood I'm in, when I hear Peter Frampton hit that little run on the guitar, I say, man, why don't I have a better singing voice, right? You know, there are some people that have magic in their fingertips, and Peter Frampton's one of them. Number six, could have gone a lot of different directions here, but we're going with the Eagles and Desperado. And that song, again, was made famous during uh, Seinfeld, the Seinfeld run. But Desperado is one of these legendary songs. I mean, a Don Henley song. I'm, a, I'm more of a Glenn Fry guy when it comes to the Eagles. But Don Henley probably penned the greatest song of his life when he penned Desperado. You've been out riding fences for far too long. And you got to think, how does he know that, right? But uh, an incredible song, Desperado from the Eagles, number six. And I still contend to you that the Eagles became a different band when Joe Walsh joined. A better band. Number five, the Rolling Stones. How can you have any list in the 1970s involving rock and roll that don't involve the Rolling Stones? You can't. You can't. The Stones, the Stones are rock and roll, man. They just are. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't really like Mick Jagger. I'm thinking, you know, stop. And the fact that Keith Richards is still alive is a, is a testament to modern medicine. But we're going to go with Give Me Shelter, which most days is my favorite Rolling Stones song. Could have gone with Sympathy of the Devil here. Could have gone Brown Sugar. Could have gone a lot of different directions here. We're going to go with Gimme Shelter, which was covered recently by Corey Taylor from Stone Sour and Slipknot, along with Lizzie Hale. And many of you have become Lizzie Hale fans listen to the show. So maybe check out that cover. Number four, this will make one of my best friends really happy, even though he will tell me it's too low on the list, that it should have been higher, closer to number one. It's Hey Jude from the Beatles. And we mentioned uh, the movie yesterday on uh, Blair's List for Friday and how I love that. And so Ed Sheeran is in that movie, and he's trying to convince the protagonist to change the song from Hey Jude to Hey Dude. Hey Dude. No, no, no. That's great. Hey Jude, an amazing song. Number three, I'm from South Mississippi. Or maybe you've heard. And... uh, This song is probably, in the minds of many South Mississippians, on nearly the same level as Amazing Grace. And it's Freebird from Leonard Skinner. I would say Simple Man might actually be a step ahead. But Freebird, one of the greatest guitar solos of all time. And, um, you know, I'm an Alan Collins fan. I've got an Alan Collins shirt, and uh, he lives such a tortured life. You know, we did a top ten just on Alan Collins. But, um, you know, this song, the opening line of this song 
was inspired by his wife. He and his wife were having a, uh, a fight. And she said, if I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's like one of those things, like it changes the context of the lyrics when you look at it through that lens. It's one thing like Ronnie Van Zandt is asking us, hey, if I leave here tomorrow, would you remember me? Like, oh, of course, Ronnie, remember your music and your legacy. But when you think about some embattled wife who thinks she's losing her husband, who's an alcoholic, who's self-destructive, if I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? I mean, it, it changes the whole context of the song. It, it does. And uh, I, I learned that within the last year, that that was the, the genesis of Freebird. And Alan Collins, in many respects, felt like he was holding her back. Crazy. Number three, Leonard Skinner, Freebird. Number two, and I remember when ESPN did their, like, century video. You remember talking about, like, at the end of the 1900s? So back in, like, 2000, I think it was, like, on New Year's Eve, they, uh, they did a video of, like, all the great sports highlights from the 1900s. And they set it to music, and it was to Aerosmith's Dream On. And the endearing image to me is uh, Wayne Gretzky. I don't know what it is about that. I remember you know, they had Hank Aaron, of course, hitting the home run. They had Jackie Robinson. They had the um, the catch, you know, with the Niners and Dallas, and and then they had Wayne Gretzky. And uh, I don't know what it is about that. Sometimes I'll dial it up and watch it. If you've never seen that video, look at that ESPN uh, Aerosmith. Just put that in YouTube. ESPN Aerosmith Dream On. It'll come up. It's pretty amazing. It really is. But what's interesting, too, that the fact that this charted in 76, it was actually recorded and released in 72. Dream On was re-released later after Aerosmith had reached some national acclaim on rock radio in, in America. And so, as a result, it pulled that self-titled album kind of out of the, uh, you know, the, the bins, the discount bins, and back onto the main shelves. Number one, though, I think we could make a case that this is the greatest song of all time. I think we can. When you think about the imagery, the phrasing, the amazing guitar solo, and the way the song builds and the way that Robert Plant sings this, it's almost kind of like a sympathetic opus. It's Stairway to Heaven. And there's so much poetry in the lyrics of the song. You could almost just like print out a lyric sheet and like hang it on your wall. And people that are unfamiliar with the song would think, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. It is an absolutely beautiful song. The composition is perfect. There's not anything about the song that I would change. And there are, there are some songs out there you look at and say, you know what, uh, maybe they didn't do this. Maybe this is one of those from the very beginning, the opening bars of the guitar until the thing ends, until there's this you know, single solitary voice at the end where Robert Plant's saying she's buying the stairway to heaven. And I remember during the Jim Baker crisis, you remember when Tammy Faye Baker became very popular? Like that kind of became, the song was somewhat synonymous with Tammy Faye Baker because people were kind of equating that to, you know, religion and money and that sort of stuff. And of course, it was a very dark time in our country in many respects. I hate to oversell it, but, um, you know, kind of it was the rise and fall of the televangelist in many respects in America. But uh, Stairway to Heaven, there are so many songs out there that are really good. This one is perfect. And 
I would encourage you to. I've read several articles. My wife is the biggest Led Zeppelin fan that I know. In fact, when uh, when she was at Adams County Christian School and they did their senior video, like they had to tell who they were and it was all goofy. And then it was one thing they had to say at the end, like what would be their endearing legacy, like what they want people to remember about them. And she said, Led Zeppelin rules. That's what she said. Of course, this is way back in the uh, well, no, it, was in, it wasn't way back. It was um, um, early 2000s because she's really young. No, uh, but now she did that. And uh, we at times will find these articles and share them with each other. And of course, we've been apart a lot. And she'll be back a week from today. Thank God. But like I'll find these obscure articles about the lyrical content in Stairway to Heaven. And it provides some context. You know, because there's some things that don't really cross translation, even though we speak the same language. There's like some some jargon or perhaps uh, some local colloquialisms in England that kind of provide some context for the song. I mean, like there's, there's a bustle on your hedgerow, right? I mean, it explains what all that stuff means, and it makes it all the more beautiful. And we've talked about Stairway to Heaven on the show many times before, but I'll, I'll just submit to you on a list like this, on a list of classic songs the fact that Led Zeppelin could be number one, and I suspect that most people would agree with that, that Stairway to Heaven, you say, you know what, Steve, as great as all these songs are, Stairway is still a cut above. It says a lot. And a lot of people wonder what the song was inspired about. And of course, Robert Plant's been very coy about that over the years. But you want a perfect song? This is it. Stairway to Heaven. And I would submit to you that no matter what list I put together, no matter what context, no matter what years, what, what topic... Stairway to Heaven is going to be number one. If Stairway is in the pool of candidates, it's going to be number one. So thanks, as always, for your support of the top ten list. And again, thanks for the contribution. Roy may be able to look that up. I don't recall who sent this list to me, but thank you for doing that. I enjoy talking music with you guys. And I know some people say, Steve, I'm not a music guy. I get it. I understand that, too. I understand. Uh, many of you love country music. I don't understand that, but I get it. You know, to each their own. I'm not going to be a music snob about this. But uh, your ideas are always uh, welcome here. And so reach out to Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. Send them to him. That's the best way to do it. You send it to me. I try to screenshot it and send it to him so we've got a record. But sometimes I forget. But thanks, as always, for your support of the Top Ten List. And thanks, as always, to CloseAtBlair.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you, as always, by Campus Bookmark. If you're unfamiliar with Campus Bookmark, then shame on you. The best selection of Mississippi State merchandise in an own universe. Until we find a bulldog shop, on Mars, that's probably going to be the case. You never know. With all these new unidentified flying objects making the rounds, maybe that's what they're doing. They're coming to spy on Campus Bookmark to see what Miss Kathy Brown has ordered, what she has put on the shelves for you guys to purchase. Next time you're in town, go by and see for yourself the great selection of Mississippi State merchandise. Very neatly positioned on the backside of campus. You can swing through Campus Bookmark and then take that right, right there by the... Uh, the President's Drive, and uh, head to the uh, sporting venues in Mississippi State. If you can't make it to town, perhaps you live in the mission field out of Mississippi, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by using promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, that gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's promo code BSR at campusbookmart.net. Anytime that I go in there, I'm walking out with a sack full of stuff. That's why you go there, right? You don't go there just to shop. You go there to purchase. And Campus Bookmart doing a better job than anybody. 
when it comes to outfitting Mississippi State families with the latest and greatest in Mississippi State merchandise. Thanks, as always, to our friends at Campus Bookmark. Okay, the ladies with a quad one win last night. We had that dreadful game against Missouri. We bounced back, and we beat a team ahead of us in the standings. Again, a quad one win, and the Bulldogs really dominated this game from start to finish. The fourth quarter was pretty much academic. State gets out to a 17-11 lead, and it's 35-18 to at the half. The way that we were playing defensively, you almost feel like the game was over at the break. State then expands the lead there in the third quarter by just a basket, but 12 to 10 there. So really the fourth period was pretty much academic. And State goes on to win 60 to 45. Big win for Sam Purcell, Lady Bulldogs. Brittany Davis had 14 for the Tide, Aaliyah Nye with a dozen. And outside of that, everybody else single-digit scoring. So the bulk of their scoring, over half of it comes from two players. The Bulldogs, a little more measured in some respects, but a huge night from Ja'Kayla Jordan, 24 points. That's getting it done. Alana Smith with 15. The state guards really doing what they needed to do. As in A. Johnson, just seven points. And the biggest part of this is State won the game without Jessica Carter, who misses her second straight games. I understand we do expect her back. It has been a bit of a roller coaster with Jessica, as you guys know, uh, throughout her time here at Mississippi State. But if State is going to make a run in this tournament, we're going to have to have her play at a high level. So some time off, probably good. The Bulldogs shoot 52% and still manage to get 26 points in the paint. Pretty impressive. 8 of 15 from beyond the arc for 53%. Free throw shooting pretty abysmal, but we didn't get to the line but seven times. Just two of seven from the line. Both of those free throws coming in the fourth quarter. We we had three free throw attempts. Excuse me, two free throw attempts the first three periods of play. And still managed to win this game going away. Turned it over a little bit too. We did. We forced 20, excuse me, we turned it over 22 times and forced just 15. So a a net gain for them of seven. And State still won the game handily. And a lot of it's because of half-court defense. Not much question about it. Alabama pulls down 30 rebounds. Bulldogs get 40 without Jessica Carter. That's good work there. Ramani Parker picking up the slack there with a dozen, excuse me, 10 rebounds for her. So, nice night, good team win here. And that's the thing, again, you have two, two ladies that kind of carry the scoring burden, but you have several other players that kind of pick up the snack, slack and, uh, and, and chip in where they can. Uh, ten blocks, too, for the ladies. Pretty impressive night. And so, again, you can't undersell the quality of this win. Mississippi State had to have it, and we got it. And now you start thinking about, okay, what's left? Well, two games left. That's it. Just two games left in a regular season slate. And here's the deal with that. Bulldogs have got to get one of these last two. If you get them both, I think you can just feel great about life no matter what happens in the SEC tournament. But this Thursday night, and we'll preview that game on Wednesday show, it's Greek night. Remind all of you affiliated with the Greek organizations on campus it's your night this Thursday night against Arkansas. That's an 8 p.m. tip. It's an SEC network broadcast. So I encourage you to turn out and be a part of that. Last home game of the year. 
certainly the regular season. And again, we're still keeping our eyes on the NCAA tournament. You beat Arkansas, I think you're in. You beat LSU, you're definitely in. But I think if you can split these two, there's a good chance you're in. You may need to win a game in a tournament to make it. But in many respects, the win against Alabama erases most of the damage done by the Missouri loss. But you win one of these last two that puts you in a great position. It gives you 20 wins and no worse than uh, nine wins in a conference. So you post a winning record in one of the best basketball conferences in America and you get 20 wins. That should get you in. Eight and six right now, guaranteed to finish no worse than 500 in the league. But you get Arkansas, then you're 20 and eight, nine and six, headed down to Baton Rouge. And LSU's a quality team. Kim Mulkey, one of the best coaches in the country. We all know this. It's going to take our best effort to win that game. But you start thinking about comparing resumes. You begin to realize this, the ladies have, have really taken a step forward this year. As it stands right now, the ladies are sixth in the SEC with an 8-6 and six record. One game out of fourth place. Alabama and Ole Miss now tied at 9-5. and five. So you could catch them and surpass them if you work the math just right. And you need some help, obviously. But the Bulldogs should finish in the top half of the league. And again, I submit, if you finish 9-7 and seven with 20 wins, you should be in the tournament. Maybe one of the last teams in, but we should be in the tournament. You get hot in the SEC tournament, you remove all doubt. But right now, the only game that matters is the one in front of us, and that's Arkansas. Arkansas now 6-8 and eight in the conference, 19-10 and 10 overall. So you have a two-game lead over them. They will come in somewhat desperate, as you could imagine, as they should. They have lost two in a row. Tennessee got them by 20, and then Georgia, continuing to play really well at home. Georgia gets Arkansas 71-48. So we will get a very desperate Arkansas team coming in here fighting for their postseason lives. We have to bring our best effort. But you again, if Mississippi State plays up to their potential, we should win that game and secure our 20th win and a winning record in conference. And considering from whence we've come, that's a pretty outstanding effort, especially in year one. And, and listen, I'll be honest with you. I've talked to a lot of people, and Robbie Falk, of course, is uh, very closely affiliated with our program. You know, this is not necessarily the most cohesive team. You know, some of the best teams we've had, obviously, have been teams where everybody loved each other. I mean, that, that, that's just – I'm not going to suggest that there's drama within the locker room. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. But, you know, Sam Purcell has had to kind of manage through this. And, again, a lot, these are not his players. I think he said that he didn't choose them, but he kept them. There's some truth to every bit of that. And so I think this is a good building block. And you begin to think about kind of taking steps, some steps back for us to get back on the national stage. This is a step in the right direction. I think sometimes we forget, you know, how bad things got at times. Let's take a quick uh, look back here. This is the last couple of years. You know, Nikki McCray-Penson's first year wasn't good. Wasn't. Not all of it was her fault, but at the end of the day, the buck stops with her. It's her program. She's in charge of uh, everything that goes on with it. What happens is her responsibility. And we didn't do well. 
I remember that first game, I guess we lost at South Florida, and everybody's like, you know what, Steve, I don't know if this is going to work out. And I thought maybe we're being unfair. You know, maybe we are. All things considered. You know, maybe that, uh, you know, Nikki's having to kind of adjust on the fly here. We had a lot of problems that year. I mean, a lot of problems. We finished the year 10 and 9. We had some games canceled. We finished 5 and 7 in the conference. And, and again, it's, I think it's difficult to judge anybody based on the circumstances that year. But it wasn't good. We've managed to split with all Miss that year, but uh, it wasn't good. It absolutely wasn't good. And we got beat by 9 in the uh, SEC tournament. I think we all thought, okay, well, you know, we weren't making the tournament anyway. It's no big deal considering the circumstances around the season in which everybody else dealt with the same thing. It wasn't our dance. Well, last year we finished 15 and 14 and 6 and 10 in a conference. And Doug Novak and them did a great job. And down the stretch, we just ran out of gas and lost six games in a row. People forget we were, you know what, 15 and 8. 15 and 8 with a chance to, uh, to advance. We were in the projections late. And now here we are, first year under Sam Purcell, with a chance to get the 20 wins. And that's an important plateau. It absolutely is. And, and hopefully some name recognition helps us. But the reality of it is, is that uh, I believe that we are an NCAA tournament team, and I believe on any given day we can go out there and compete with anybody as we've proven against South Carolina. And as some of our fans have pointed out, Steve, don't write off the LSU game yet. And you're right. You never know what's going to happen. But right now, we got to focus on and taking down Arkansas and taking another step forward as a program and another step up the SEC standings. There's a lot going on, to say the least. When we look at the schedule here, there is, uh, let's see, tonight you've got Missouri at Texas A&M. Texas A&M has won just six games this year. You think Missouri should win that game? You know, you never know what's going to happen, but uh, – you certainly expect them to get there. And then the next women's basketball game this week doesn't take place. As I'm trying to navigate through this, sometimes these websites are difficult. Um, and maybe it's me. Maybe it's operator error. The next SEC game is Thursday, and there is a full slate of games. Alabama is at Florida. I think you're rooting interest here. Doesn't really matter that much, but maybe you want Florida to win here. And then Kentucky's at A&M. So that's the last two teams at the conference. So they, somebody's got to get a win. I would suspect it's Kentucky. South Carolina is at Tennessee. That could be a little bit dicey. I think South Carolina is just at a different level. Missouri is then at Ole Miss. You certainly would like to see a Tigers win there. Not just because it's Ole Miss, but because the, the Rebels are a game ahead of us in the standings. Then Auburn is at Georgia. The way Georgia's played at home, you got to favor Auburn. LSU was at Vanderbilt, and then Arkansas, of course, at Mississippi State. And so there is some room for the traffic to kind of clear around us a little bit. But we got to take care of business. And you get into the final Sunday, Georgia's at South Carolina. That's a South Carolina dub. A&M's at Arkansas. So while we're two games up on them, you almost got to assume they're going to beat A&M. So, in order for us to maintain a lead on Arkansas, we got to take care of business and, and knock them off. And Tennessee's at Kentucky. Florida is at Mizzou. Ole Miss is then at Alabama. That's a big game for us because of the fact both of those teams are a game ahead of us in the standings. Somebody takes a loss right here. 
And so you could absolutely catch one of these two teams. Ole Miss may be the most likely of the two. Vanderbilt is in at Auburn and, of course, State's at LSU. But you start running your running the math here and you begin to realize you know, the chances of us finishing top half of this league are it's all within our, our own hands. It's up to us. We control our own destiny here. So we don't need the traffic to move in order for us to finish in the top half. But, man, the closer you get to that top four, the better off you are when that SEC tournament bracket comes out. So, again, congratulations to the ladies. A huge win over a quad one opponent in Alabama. Let's keep it going and go take care of Arkansas, and then we'll see what happens at LSU. All right, final segment of the show brought to you, as always, by Portico. If I was moving to Starkville now, I would look no further than Portico. I like what I've seen over there. You will, too. Give yourself a self-guided tour next time you come to town. Turn off 82 on 12 like going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. Looks like a major intersection. It's really not. You make that turn, go through the four-way stoppers, Portico on the right-hand side. Give Brooks Bryan a call today at 601-416-8075. Let him know you're interested in learning a little bit more. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You'd be glad you did. Maybe you need that extra room. Maybe you got the grandkids coming to watch the ball game. Or maybe grandma's going to stay home, let everybody else go to the game, and she's going to keep the kids. Make it your ball game weekend retreat. Make it your primary residence. It doesn't matter to me what you do. I just know that you're going to be happy at Portico. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. That close to all things Bulldog. You deserve to be there. You want to be there. You can make it a reality. Give Brooks a call again at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two, getting close, right? There's, uh, there's still some room for you to kind of pick out a lot, pick out a housing plan, and kind of push things forward for yourself. If you need a custom build, they can accommodate you. It's nice to have people that understand how important a place Starkville is and how special it is. And they understand how significant it is for you to make a decision to move your family here. They're going to do a good job for you. Again, that's Portico. Make it your next move. Okay, let's talk baseball. Uh, Let's see. So, mixed bag weekend. It was. Friday was a good day. Now, I'm not going to recap every game. As we get through basketball season, we'll be more detailed when it comes to our baseball coverage here. You guys know how I do it. But uh, you know, a good start, 11-2 on Friday. We'll take a quick look inside the numbers here, too. You know, Cade Smith, I thought, gave us a quality start. Was he especially sharp? No, he wasn't. He'll tell you the same. But Cole gave us a good start. And uh, the pitch count got run up a little bit because, uh, you know, at times we got a little bit erratic there. But four innings pitch allowed just two hits, no runs, five Ks, and two walks. Also had a hit by pitch. You know, we get, it's you know three free passes in four innings. That's almost one an inning. And we made some errors behind him too. You know, we can't give people free passes. Uh, and and I, I, I'll get some clarification on this, but Graham Yanetma, or I think that's right. Uh, they pronounce it a little bit different. I've heard Lamona say it one way and the PA announcer say it another. Uh, didn't have a great outing. Had a little bit of bad luck, too. I thought he got squeezed a little bit. But the only pitcher that you look at on Friday and you say, you know what, we didn't get a good appearance here. Five hits, two runs. One of them earned a walk, three Ks. Also balked the runner to second. 
just didn't get, you know, not a great start. Not a great first appearance, but uh, the guy's very talented, and I can tell you that Chris Simonos has told me countless times that he's going to be a guy that's going to factor in this year. Uh, Nate Dome comes in and is outstanding. One point, one two, one and two-thirds of an inning, if I can get that out. One walk, no hits, no runs, no Ks. Faced four batters, got three ground outs. Nate throws a heavy ball. Throws it hard, good spin rate, gets under barrels, forces guys to beat it in the ground. Tyson Harding was outstanding. I think in many respects, he may have been the guy that was somewhat unheralded, kind of lost in the weekend. Tyson Harding goes one scoreless inning, no hits, 1K, gets a fly out and a ground out. He was very efficient in what he did. And then Logan Forsyth came in, did give up the one hit, but I thought he was really good, a nice, smooth, and even delivery mechanics. Very, very good. Allows one hit, gets a couple of punches, does have the one wild pitch, uh, and gets a ground out. But you, you get through Graham, and you go three and two-thirds of an inning, allow one hit and one walk. That's it. That, that, that's a good effort from your bullpen. And again, you hold them to two runs. You win that game 11-2, to two, and just kind of look at the offensive numbers here. What else, what else can you say about Amani Larry? It's ridiculous, man. The guy goes four for four and then has a walk. So his first five plate appearances, he gets on. He has four RBIs and scores a run. Colton Ledbetter, one for four in the ballgame, also had a walk. Uh, Dakota Jordan, a freshman hitting three-hole. I don't know when that's happened. The guy's explosive, though. But he goes one for three and gets three walks in the game. So he gets him gets on base four times. Hunter Hines 0 for three in that in that ball game. And then Slate Alford, three for four, who is swinging a really, really good bat. Even his outs are loud. And I don't know if it's just something we've cleaned up on the bat plane, but he is barreling the baseball up. Kellum Clark then goes one for five, scores a run, has an RBI. Luke Hancock down in the order goes two for four. Bryce Chance who currently leads Mississippi State in batting average. Who saw that coming? Three for five and hits the first dinger of the year, Lane Forsythe, one for three. But, uh, you know, got to clean some things up, obviously. And we had three errors in the game, and one of those yielded a run. Otherwise, State wins this thing by, you know, 11 to one. And we missed some opportunities. We didn't get the big hit, and uh, maybe we should have. But we did get some separation. It was a tight game for a little while. Of course, State jumps out there. And gets the big lead. And the difference between Friday and Saturday is we continue to add to the lead, right? I mean, we scored as late as the seventh inning. I mean, you're up 3 nothing. They cut it to 3-2 in the fifth, and then you immediately answer, and it's 4-2, 6-2, 8-2, 9-2, 10-2, 11-2. That's what good teams do. When you get into bullpens, you continue to pad the lead no matter the circumstances. And that's one thing we didn't do on Saturday. So let's go ahead and talk about uh, Saturday. Let's jump on it right now. So, State jumps out to an 8-1 lead. And, and uh, it's crazy. How many times have you seen us chase somebody starter in the first inning and then lose the game? Holden Wilkerson is their number two guy. They're expecting him to be very good. He goes two-thirds of an inning, four hits, eight runs, four walks, just the 1K. But those 40 pitches in the inning and can't get three outs. It's pretty crazy. And so we run him out, and it's an 8-1 ball game. And then in the second, we push it out to 10-1, and we lose. And I'll be honest with you, when 
they put up four and a third and we didn't answer. I was a little bit concerned, but you tell yourself, well, it's still 10 to five. We'll be okay. We'll win this game 20 to 10 or something. And then they put up two in the fourth. So they're narrowing the gap. We only get one back. And then in the fifth, they get two and then we don't score again. It's so all of a sudden you look up and it's like, we're in a ball game now. We get one in the sixth. They get four in the seventh. And then they get that important insurance run in the ninth. They made it stand up. Turns out they needed it. But here's the deal. If you get 17 hits and 13 runs in a non-conference game, you win the game. Period. You win the game. But we didn't. So why didn't we win? I wrote about this at length. We didn't win because we couldn't throw strikes. And it drives you crazy. There's one, if there's one thing about baseball that absolutely gets under my skin, it is a pitcher that is not willing to compete. Now, I understand every once in a while people have a bad day. You get a blister, you're not feeling right, you got a little tightness in your shoulder, whatever. There's always something, right? Pitchers have got to be tough. You're throwing a fastball overhead at 90, 95 miles an hour. It's one of the most difficult things to do in sports. It is. And then hitting that baseball is very difficult. But you got to be willing to go out there and compete. You got to trust your stuff. You got to have confidence in yourself. And you got to go compete. If they hit you, they hit you. That's part of competition. But you can't walk the ballpark, and that's what we did. Uh, KC gets an 8-1 lead. We didn't have a great first inning. But then after that, it's like, okay, you're up 8. 8-1, excuse me. Go pound the zone. Even if you got to take a little something off, just go pound the zone. Nothing irritates a coach more than after you put a big inning up and you get some separation within the game and you just start walking people. Now, the second inning, we were fine. The second inning, we get to one, two, three. But it's after we push it out to 10 to 1 that all of a sudden, we just lose his own here. We walked a leadoff hitter, walked a two-hole hitter. Then all of a sudden, there's wild pitches and stolen bases. We walked the bases loaded. And uh, then we walk in a run, and we pull KC. So it's like we go from maybe a shaky first inning to a really good second inning to the third inning. We just completely lose it. Completely lose it. Did we relax? Put too much pressure on ourselves? I don't know. Then we bring in Stinnett, and I don't know how well we can trust Parker Stinnett at this point. I don't know. He's been up and down. But he gets, uh, he gets a fly out here, and then there's a stolen base, and we get a single, allows he runs to score. Both of those charge to KC Hunt. And then we get back-to-back strikeout swinging. And so, you know, it's easy to kind of jump on this thing and say, well, you know, I don't know if we can trust Parker Stanett. And, and I, I don't know if we can either. I'm, I'm just kind of being honest with you. But we get out of that jam, and then we come back, and Stanett goes one and two-thirds of an inning, lost two hits, two runs, one of them earned. He didn't walk anybody. And so it's like I look at this and say, okay, i got a couple punchies here, but um, 27 pitches. I know what we got last year at times from Parker was outstanding. Other times it wasn't. I want to attribute some of that inconsistency to the injury. But I don't know at this point you look at this and say you got to move on from him. Tyler Davis, a highly heralded transfer. I got it. was a former starter and closer at VCU. We were really excited about him. Did not have a strong 
appearance. He goes two and a thirds, one hit, two runs, both of them earned, three walks, four Ks. Now, his final inning of work was a little bit better. And maybe there was some nervousness. I don't know. Maybe. You know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. But he gets a one, two, three inning there in the sixth. And that was against uh, four, five, six. One, two, three. Very, very efficient here with his pitching. You know, where he got in trouble, of course, is, you know, you strike out Coza and you walk Fitzwater and you give up a home run. It allows him to make an 11-9 ball game. But it's just one of those things you look at and you begin to ask yourself, okay, you know, why do we put ourselves in this situation? You know, Tyler Davis has got to be a dude for us. And, and he doesn't have to be pretty good. He's got to be great. First thing he does when he comes in is he walks a guy, and then all of a sudden we have the throwing error at first. And, you know, it's just like it was a comedy of errors in that fourth, and they only got two runs, and we ought to consider ourselves very fortunate. But Davis has got to come in and be a fireman. And he comes in here, and, again, the throwing error is not on him. It's on Hunter Hines. But, you know, he walks two of the first three guys he faces. And even though those guys didn't come around to score, you can't have that as a reliever. You simply can't. And then you walk a guy and give up a tank. I mean, you know, listen, tanks are part of competing. The problem is you just can't have guys on base. He did calm down in the sixth and have that one, two, three inning. So, again, I think he's going to be okay, but he just kind of wrapped up in the craziness there. Colby Holcomb is a guy that we've got high hopes for. Didn't throw strikes. And he was a guy, too, we had to kind of fend off the, the MLB draft to get. And we got him, and now we need him to produce. And again, I haven't forgotten how dreadful Landon Sam's first appearance was at Mississippi State either against Wright State. It nearly cost us a ball game. I hadn't forgotten that. Not going to say that these guys are going to be uh, Sam's by any stretch, but you know you can't just close the book on somebody after one shaky performance. But Kobe Holcomb gets one guy out, allows three runs, all of them earned, and three walks in the inning. Gets the 1K. He throws the baseball hard. We've got to channel that and put ourselves in a situation where he's getting guys out. And at this point, too, it's a 12-9 ball game. you got a three-run lead to work with. We have a lengthy at-bat, walk the guy. We get the K, give up the stolen base, walk the next guy. We walk the bases loaded. And then we bring in Nate Dome. And Nate does a good job here. But at the end of the day, it, it's a, it's a 13-12 to 12 ball game. They've taken the lead, but we've gifted that to them. We have the three walks. We have a throwing error. And, and you know, we charge this to uh, Forsyth, and obviously throws the ball in the dirt. But you got to be able to pick that. I mean, it's, it's a bad play on both ends of it. Now, of course, if, if Lane throws a strike to first base, it's a different conversation. But that allowed a run to come around and score, put two guys in scoring position. They get the sack fly. The next thing you know, it's a double, and we're in trouble. So we go from being able to get out of the inning with minimal damage to giving up four runs and the lead after we have led the entire count. And, again, it blows my mind we're up 10-1 to 1 in this ball game. We're having to piece this thing together. And it's not like Tyler Davis and Colby Holcomb are like freshmen. I mean, these are guys that have pitched beyond the high school level. 
and I understand you may be a little bit nervous, but I'm just going to say this. If you can't go out there and compete at a high level and have mental toughness, you can't play at Mississippi State. You just can't. And I think Nate, of all of our relievers on Friday and Saturday, I think Nate proved to be the best. I don't think there's a lot of question about that. I don't know how anybody could debate that. I mean, Nate comes in in an impossible situation. Defense doesn't make plays behind him. That just can't happen. And Nate gets charged with the loss. Uh, Nate, two and two-thirds of an inning, doesn't walk a hitter. And uh, they've changed some of this box score stuff around. They've charged some of this stuff. You know, he gives up three hits, a couple runs. But, um, you know, it's just – it's not good. It didn't give up an earned run, didn't walk a hitter, and uh, gets a loss. Goes two and two-thirds of an innings and 40 pitches. And think about how many less pitches he'd have to throw if we make a play, a routine play from short to first. That's got to happen. And listen, people, well, what wasn't routine? No, guys, listen. You get your glove on it. You get your your shoulder square. That's a routine play. It is. And so we battle, and um, we get to the ninth inning, of course, and um, – you know, we're kind of making some things happen here. Of course, they get that very important insurance run there. But uh, Lang grounds out the third. And then Imani Larry, who's a hero for us, doubles. And then he and Colton Ledbetter trade places. And all of a sudden, you've got the tying run at second with less than two outs. DJ grounds out the second, move Ledbetter to third. And then Hunter Hines strikes out swinging. When you've got the tying run at second, less than two outs, and you got three and four coming up, somebody's got to get the run home. That's why you're hitting three and four. Now, I understand not everybody's perfect, but these are clutch situations. And I know I'm dependent on a freshman, but Hunter Hines is a guy, obviously, that uh, one of the better hitters in this conference last year. And so it's a missed opportunity. But the bottom line is we should have never been in that situation. 13 runs is enough to win. It was a disaster. But it's not going to define our season. I know we're going to look back at the schedule as the year goes on and say, oh, I can't believe that. I don't think that's who we are. I think Tyler Davis is a better pitcher. I think Colby Holcomb's a better pitcher. I think Casey Hunt's got some stuff too. Casey's got to work through it. But we've got options now. And so we don't have to just sit here and be patient. You can look at the Eric Sarantola Doctrine of 2021. It was ratified down in Baton Rouge. If you don't throw strikes, you don't get to keep going out there. It's not like last year where we didn't have any options. Much different dynamic this year. All right, pitching much better on Sunday. And you would expect that Landon Gartman, a guy that obviously has had success at the Division I level. Granted, he was at Memphis, but uh, you know, how do you, how do you become the, the pitcher of the year in your conference on a losing team? That says a lot about that guy. But Gartman was really good. A little bit shaky early, I guess, but he goes five innings, six hits, three runs, all of them earned, one walk, eight Ks, had a couple wild pitches, and you got a freshman catcher back there too. Ross Heifel, of course, started in place of Luke Hancock, and Luke moved to first. Hines had the day off. But 88 pitches for Garbman. I thought he was good. I thought he a really good job pitching backwards and spotting up a change early in counts, keeping people off, and then, and he was able to you know, throw the fastball by him sometimes too. He's going to max out around 90 91. But when you have – it's kind of like Hootie and the Blowfish, right? Like Houston Harding did not have, over, have overpowering stuff, but because the differential between the fastball and the change is 15 miles per hour plus, 
you're able to keep people off the fastball. You just got to hope they don't guess right. And I think Gartman's probably a two- to three-time guy through the order. Getting through the order the third time maybe proved to be a little difficult. But uh, the guy gave us a good effort yesterday and really kind of kept us in the game until the bats came, turned around. And then the bullpen took over, and the bullpen was outstanding. Uh, Gerangelo credited with the win. Gerangelo Senjay, and uh, he gives up two hits, but was really good and really pounded his own, has some life on the fastball. Bradley Lofton, I think, to me, is the story of the weekend, and I think nobody's talking about this. This is a guy that goes 95 from the left, throws an 85 to 87-mile-an-hour changeup, and can drop that changeup in there around 75, 77. We're talking a 20-mile-per-hour differential. And he throws it all from the same arm slot with the same arm speed. There's a reason this guy was projected as a first or potential second-round draft pick. There's a reason that scouts are willing to give him over a million dollars. Bradley Lofton wanted to be here at Mississippi State. And, and I, I'll give you a hot take right now. I think Bradley Lofton's a weekend starter by the end of the year. And I don't think it's just because of the fact that other people proved to be ineffective. I think he's going to prove to be the better option. Once he gets some time under his belt, he's a very, he might be the most talented pitcher on the, on the staff. And then you factor in Gerangelo. You know, are those guys starting in the two months? When you got three weeks to kind of figure this thing out before you get into conference play. Tyson Harding was good. One inning pitch, allowed one hit, had a punch out. But again, 13 pitches. Hey, if you're going to run somebody out there and we can get out of the thing with in between 10 to 15 pitches, that's great. And that's what Bradley Lawson did. That's what Tyson Harding did. And Aaron Nixon did it in 18 pitches, and I thought he got squeezed a little bit on that walk. But your bullpen works four innings, allows three hits, no runs, uh, two walks, and gets uh, five punch outs. You'd like to see the, the punchies up a little bit higher. But I say that to say this. When you look at how well the bullpen performed on Friday, with one exception, and again, I'm not ready to throw Graham out with the bathwater by any stretch, and you look how the bullpen performed on Sunday – it, it makes you hope that Saturday was the outlier. And I think, again, when you go back and look at those guys on Saturday, you know, Davis has done it at this level before. So I expect a return to form for him. I, I, don't, I don't think this is, oh, we, we've made a mistake here. No, we've got a good dude in Tyler Davis. And I think, again, he got in there and settled down. He was good. And, again, you know, Stanette, so that wasn't the reason we lost. I know that there's some people who are just waiting for him to walk a hitter so they can unload on him. We didn't walk one. He didn't. He didn't pitch to the best of his ability, but I don't think at this point you can look at that and say, you know what, I, I can't trot him back out there. And listen, I've had a love-hate relationship with Parker not on the mound. There's sometimes he goes up there and he surprises me, but I think that he's a guy that's probably, you know, a middle reliever type guy, and we'll see how things progress. But – uh you know, I, I don't fault him for the loss. Uh, the guy that's the most disappointing to me on Saturday is KC, and I think he'll tell you the same. You can't go out there and walk the ballpark. We walked a dozen hitters, and six of them were from KC. And, and you know, he, he pitches into the third and doesn't get a single out in the third. You know, those are the things that just drive you nuts. And then we had a hit-by-pitch on top of it. So it's like we issue him 13 free passes – and then on top of it, you boot the baseball around and have three errors. We got to play clean. We don't have good enough pitching to continue to go out there and boot the baseball around. Now, Slade Alford, of course, uh, didn't have the greatest weekend defensively, 
But that's kind of his calling card. And maybe it's he's speeding himself up a little bit. He will be fine at third. You know what you have with Lane Forsythe? And Lane had a mixed bag weekend, too. There were some double plays that he made that were outstanding. There were some balls hit right to him, but he had you know a lot of contact courage on. And there were other times, too, he sped himself up. You know, that, that kind of stuff can't happen. You know, Hunter Hines, of course, kind of settling in at first base. Didn't look especially comfortable at times. But the good thing is you can change some things up. You can put Heifel behind the plate. You can put Luke out there. Maybe you let Hines be a left-handed DH every once in a while and let Chance be the right-handed DH just to give Hunter a chance to get a day off. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. And I think Lamona said yesterday he's got 13, 14 guys that deserve an opportunity to play. Little did we know when we started fall baseball, Dakota, Dakota Jordan would be starting, much less starting in the three-hole in the, in the order. So, uh, you know, I'm going to call it a good weekend. It wasn't a great weekend. Because I think there's a lot of this people, a lot of our fans are kind of gun-shot right now. It's like we remember how abysmal pitching got down the stretch, you know, and all of a sudden it rears its ugly head a little bit on Saturday. And we're thinking, I'm not going to another year of this, right? I don't think you have to. Because I think, what number one, you'll start working some of these guys a little bit longer. They'll have more than just like one inning stints as we get into SEC play. And then, you know, Pico at some point will be back. But I don't think this is a situation right now. These are basically auditions for a lot of guys. And I think because you've got the separation in game two, and you think, okay, well, we're up, we're up 10-1. We can, we can afford you know, to let some guys throw a little bit. I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think, I think you'll start seeing once we identify who we can trust, They'll start work, working longer, you know, stints. I don't think you'll have guys just going out there working an inning. I think, like Bradley Lawford's a good example. You know, when, this this week against UL Monroe, do you let him throw a couple, two, two, three innings? You know, against UL Monroe, and then you can throw him this weekend. I mean, those are the things you kind of begin to consider. But the the good thing is, is it's not like last year. We got dudes, okay, and we don't have to sit there and watch you struggle. We don't have to sit there and let you work through it. You can work through it in the bullpen, or you can work through it in the midweek. We don't have to keep trotting you out there when you're not being productive. And that's not me handing out indictments on anybody. It's one weekend. It's one weekend, and it's one appearance for every one of these pitchers, with the exception of Nate, who pitched well on Friday and Saturday. I think Nate Dome's going to be a guy for us. You start thinking about him being the guy that bridged the gap to get you to, uh, you know, to Nixon – I think you start feeling pretty good. But right now, there's going to be some mixing and matching. So we, we figure out who can kind of carry the freight for us a little bit. So don't be surprised. We get into SEC play, and you got uh, Gerangelo and Bradley throwing a lot more. Because I really believe in many respects, and this may sound sacrilegious, I think our more talented pitchers on this roster are the freshmen. I think we've recruited well, contrary to popular belief. And, and I'm going to say one other thing, too. I read some of the social media commentary. And uh, let me make sure that I establish this. I love Mississippi State baseball. I love Mississippi State baseball more than I love a coach, more than I love a player, more than I love a fan, more than I love a stadium, more than I love an administrator. I love Mississippi State baseball above all of that. Nothing and no one is bigger than the program. But for people to suggest that Scott Foxhall hadn't gone out and recruited hard, and hadn't worked hard to get these guys, you're kidding yourself. You don't have Nate Dome without Scott Foxhall. You don't have Aaron Nixon without Scott Foxhall. You don't have Bradley Lofton. You don't have Gerangelo without Scott Foxhall. So for those people to suggest that, 
Not to mention, do you really think Chris Lamonis wouldn't have his pitching coach on the road during recruiting? I mean, give me a break. It's like sometimes we have a loss, and it's like we lose all sense of reality. And, like, it's not enough that we're struggling. Well, let's go add to it. You know, I, I think life is difficult enough as it is without us adding fake drama to it. So if, if you've read some of those comments out there, let me just tell you, they're untrue. They're completely false. And it's like all of a sudden we want to find a convenient villain and jump on their back and pin them for this. We had a bad day on the mound Saturday. We did. We had a good day Friday. We had a great day Sunday. You know, Garvin could be a little bit sharper, but uh, he settled in and did a really good job. I think we like what we see there. But we're going to find some consistency because we're going to find guys that we can trust, and then we're going to lean on them to carry more of their workload. There's nothing out there that says we have to put anybody on the mound. It's not Little League Baseball where you're guaranteed two innings a week. It's just not the case, as we've shown in the past. And Chris Lamontis and Scott Foxhall are not scared to make the difficult decision. I firmly believe last year was the outlier. But we'll see. You know, we got some very talented arms on campus. How we utilize them, we'll see. And again, Tuesday and Wednesday, Louisiana Monroe is in. It's a 4 p.m. first pitch on Tuesday, 3 p.m. on Wednesday. And then we'll have Arizona State coming in this weekend for a big three-game set. And, and listen, I know Arizona State wasn't great last year, but it's still Arizona State. A lot of respect for that program. In many respects, they're kind of a comparable program to Mississippi State. They're going to recruit well. They're going to bring talent. They're going to have a couple guys that are expected to be pros. It'll be a good test for us. We need to win these two midweek games. And I, and I hope that we can win them in impressive fashion. I mean, obviously, like yesterday, we had to kind of grind that thing out. We did. That's incredible, too. Five players have hit home runs. Kelm Clark with two. But five different players. And we, we've kind of got a pool. Somebody had, We were talking about this in the press box. I think we end up having six guys go double-digit home runs. I do. I think we'll have six. And uh, I think in the end, in the year, we're going to be a very good offensive team. And I've said for months now, this team will be defined by the quality of its starting pitching. And again, if you look at the starts, you, you got the best start from Landon Garman. I thought Kate Smith was good. I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was especially sharp, but he was good. And KC uh, wasn't. And that's just the reality. I wouldn't call it for what it is. But uh, – it doesn't mean that I completely shake things up this weekend. But if we go back out there this weekend and we don't have the performance that we need to have, you know, we got to make an adjustment before we get an SEC play. Simple as that. No matter who they are, no matter how long they've been here, no matter how much we like them, nobody is bigger than a program. Nobody is bigger than Mississippi State baseball. And, again, I think Scott Foxhall, when you see his handling of Eric Sarantola, will show you. He will give a guy every, every opportunity to make it, but once it's evident that he's not going to, they'll make a change. That's how things are worked. I mean, Chris Lamontis and Scott Foxhall are not going to just go out there and just go through the motions. And there are some people out there that, you know, listen, they claim to love Mississippi State baseball, but they criticize us at every single turn. And I know a lot of that's because it matters. But you got to give these guys the benefit of the doubt, too. They have done it and come through for us in the past. And last year, I think, is an outlier. Again, you, you, you think about what happened last year when you lose four pitchers for the year, not to mention what you lost to the draft. And say, so, well, Steve, you got to be able to anticipate that. Yeah, that's true. It's part of the, part of the gig. 
And we didn't utilize the portal well enough before the 2022 season. We didn't. We didn't go out there and get a couple of arms that could have made the difference. Little did we know we are going to have the injuries we had. And maybe there was this bit of melancholy. It's like, I don't want to run anybody off to win an NFL championship. And you know what? That's probably the right decision to make. But I think that was part of an issue with the season last year. But this year, you've got more options. You've got some young guns that are going to be big-time guys. But to not give Scott Foxhall credit for helping to get those guys, you really think your hitting coach went out there and recruited the pitching guys? I mean, come on, give me a break. I mean, I got it's a major league baseball prospects not going to have a relationship with his pitching coach in college. Come on. You're just saying stuff to talk now. Anyway, that's it. I'm done talking for today. Go to dogpilebook.com. You get all my sports books there. It's Dogpile, Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, and, of course, Sublims Oleander, available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com, Stark Villains gear, available at StarkVillains.com. And, as always, come be a member of our wonderful community at jeanspage.com. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.